Good evening. A man came to his preacher and said that he wanted to be baptized. So the preacher sat down with him and discussed some things and determined that he was ready to put on Christ in baptism. And just before they entered the baptistry, the man told the preacher, he said, Now look, preacher, I've got a lot of irons in the fire right now. I can't be involved in anything, so don't put any work on me. I just want to come, and I want to sit in a pew, and I want to go home. That's it. The preacher said, well, this church isn't for you. You want the church down the road. Just go three blocks, take a ride, and you'll find it. So he left. He went three blocks, turned right, and he came to an old abandoned building. Graffiti all over the side of it, windows boarded up, and a sign that hung on the door that said, Condemned. You know, nowhere in the Bible do you see that a Christian is to be inactive, that a member of the Lord's church is saved to sit. This whole series we have been looking at, how we can express our love for the church. If we love the church, then we express it through, through giving, through evangelism, through different means. And tonight we're looking at something very simple, a very simple concept. If you love the church, just be it. Just be the church. It's really that simple. But what happens so often is that the church is lacking servants and therefore they end up like that old building eventually, condemned, graffiti all over the outside, windows boarded up. I know you know this and we've talked about it on many occasions, but church is not something you do. Church is not something that opens and closes with a prayer. Church is you. It's me. It's we. And there is no such thing as an inactive member of the Lord's church. We are added to the Lord's church for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve. Again, we started this series by talking about how Christians are not to be sedentary, that we're not to be stationary. The first church did not sit, uh, sit. they went, they were active, they were on the move. And if we're going to restore first century Christianity, if we're going to be New Testament Christians, then we can't just be holed up in a building. What we do here matters, without a doubt. But just as important as what we do outside these walls. The first church started as a movement, Acts chapter 1, 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs or which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You read the book of Acts and you can't help but notice that the apostles were constantly on the move. Paul, Barnabas, and a host of others worked tirelessly to spread the gospel message, to build up the church. They certainly were not sitters. They were movers. Movements move. Which means that if we want to be a movement again, well, then we've got to start moving. I don't believe that God ever intended for the church to be a memorial to a once great movement. I don't believe that was ever part of his plan, but that's what you see so often today, that the church is a monument to a once great movement. Church, many times, retreats, stays within its four walls and works on maintaining what it has built rather than growing or expanding. My friends, please hear me on this. This is a very simple concept as well, but one that we all need to grasp, and that is that saved people save people. 
It's just that simple. Saved people save people. You were saved, and when you were saved, you were given a responsibility. It's what we're about. It's what we do. We all must be Christ-driven and mission-minded. And if we're truly intent on restoring New Testament Christianity, then we will move. Remember the letter to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3? It says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Maybe it's time for some to wake up, to remember their past, remember how this whole movement started. For us, we have a more recent history a movement that started with some folks coming over from Baker Heights as an offshoot and planning something great here at Oldham Lane. To be a part of that mission, to be a part of that fledgling church, I mean, what a great thing. And we constantly refer back to that and talk about our roots and our beginning and, and how special that was and how special it still is. We had a, a great beginning. We had a great start. And we want to keep this train moving down the tracks. You know, many businesses and organizations have what's called a mission statement. And so they, they make a concise statement that they display on the wall to show what their purpose is, what their mission is, what they are about. And so if we were to come up with a mission statement for the Oldham Lane Church of Christ, what would it be? I, I've thought about that recently, and I've thought, what would our mission statement be? And I've come up with one. See what you think about this one. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What better mission statement than that? I mean, that's who we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be about. Every church needs to ask the question, what are we here for? Why do we exist what is our purpose? And if the number one answer is not to save souls, then we're missing it. You can read through Paul's letters and see that the church was about other things, but those were secondary things. The number one primary reason for the church and why it existed was to be the agency by which the story of salvation was to be told. Why do we exist? And we have to understand the why before we ever move into the how. The why is to be a saved people who saves people. A church that is not evangelistic is a contradiction. Our primary purpose is to spread the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear good news. You know, there's a lot of causes we could take up. As a church, there are a lot of causes that we could involve ourselves in. For instance, we could get involved in protecting the habitat of the golden-cheeked warbler. It's a bird on the endangered species list. Or the black-capped vireo, another bird that's on the endangered species list. We could take up that cause and we could fight to preserve the habitat of the golden-cheeked warbler or the black-capped vireo. And some would probably follow us in that because they believe in it wholeheartedly. But I think for most people, they would be a little confused. Why is the Oldham Lane Church of Christ involved in, in protecting the habitat of the golden-cheeked warbler or the black-capped varea? There are a lot of causes we could take up. 
But so many times the church gets distracted by other causes instead of the primary cause that they should be taking up. You see it all the time. We get distracted by things going on around us. Different things happening in our culture and we forget what we're supposed to be about. We lose our identity. You know, I go to McDonald's to eat unhealthy food. That's why I go. I'm not looking for a salad. So stop trying to push salads. That's not who you are, McDonald's. That's not what I expect from you. If I want to eat healthier, I'll go to Subway. I don't go to Subway for chicken nuggets. I go to McDonald's for that. Sadly, many restaurants have lost their identity. The church can do that as well. We could lose our identity in all this and get distracted by other things and become something that we're not supposed to be, or at least focusing on ancillary things when we should be about the number one thing, which is saving souls. Why? Why do we exist? That's the first question we have to ask ourselves. In the book of Acts, God brought a collection of individuals together to change the world. You see that? To change the world. That was their goal. That was the goal that he had for them, and it's the same that he has for us. God brought a collection of people together right here at the Oldham Lane Church of Christ for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost in this community. But if all we do is gather and never scatter, then we have failed miserably. We had better be on the same page with God. I don't want to be following a script that God didn't write. Do you? I want to make sure that I'm following the same script that God has written. Remember when the Israelites arrived on the threshold of the promised land and God ordered Moses to send out 12 spies to, to do a reconnaissance mission? And they came back. It says, we went into the land where you sent us. And they said, it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. And then notice the word that follows. It's the word nevertheless. And anytime you're talking with someone and they use the word nevertheless, however, or but, it simply means forget everything I just said. Now I'm going to tell you how I really feel. And here's what it says. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are in the, living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. The situation called for courage and the spies were lacking. It called for confidence and they didn't have it. Thankfully, a man by the name of Caleb stepped up to the plate. Caleb refused to listen to the naysayers and the boo birds. Caleb boldly stood tall where others were ready to cow down. And in Numbers 14, 8 and 9, it says, If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The whole key in all of that for Caleb was, the Lord is with us. And that's all that mattered. Didn't matter that all the ites lived there. Didn't matter all the giants in the land. None of that mattered. What mattered is the Lord is with us, and that's all that matters for us as well. We can step out boldly and confidently because the Lord is with us. That was the key to Caleb's confidence and courage, and that should be our key as well. There was no reason for them to fear because they were already defeated. All the people had to do was trust God's game plan. Victory was assured. They just had to believe. True faith sees beyond the obstacles, sees beyond the giants, no matter how big they may be, and sees the provision of the Almighty God. When you boil it all down, courage can be defined in one little three-letter word. 
Yes. That's it. That's courage. Saying yes to God's plan. Even though you're scared, even though you, you think it may not work, even though you, you wonder if you have the, the confidence and the courage to, to carry it forth, that little three-letter word is all you need to remember. Yes. Christian courage is saying yes to God's mission. Yes to faith. Yes to the Lord's will. And no to the circumstances that seem like they're going to overtake us. Caleb's commitment, confidence, and courage would pay off. Number uh, Joshua chapter 14, 13 and 14 reads, So Joshua blessed him and gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. So Caleb defeated the giants. He was victorious. He claimed victory over what God had reserved for him. The name of the place he inherited was Hebron, which means association. Caleb refused to quit. He refused to stop until he obtained what God had laid out for him. He refused to quit until he found that place of association or fellowship with God. And that should be our goal as well. We should be a people who refuse to give up, back up, shut up, or be held up until we have stood up, read up, prayed up, confessed up, spoke up, looked up, and filled up on everything that God has lined out for us. We ought to settle for nothing less than a place of closeness and oneness with God the Father. Scripture records more than once, six times actually, that Caleb followed the Lord fully. That phrase refers to a hunter closing in on his prey. In reference to Caleb, it means that he was hot on the heels of God. It refers to closing the gap. Caleb kept the distance between him and God at a minimum. And it brought him victory. We ought to settle for nothing less in our own lives, keeping that distance between us and God at a minimum. Caleb was on the same page with God when others were not. The 12 spies got off script. They were so afraid that they lied and did their own thing. Caleb refused to deviate from the plan. Are we all on the same page? Are we all on the same page reading from the same script? Have we said yes to God's plan? Do we have the courage to stand up boldly and confidently and proclaim Christ? Because there are giants out there. There are naysayers. There are boo birds. There are liars. There are critics. Sadly, some may even be religious folks. But the key to our success is the fact that the Lord is with us. And as long as we close that gap between Him and us, as long as we follow him fully, as long as we stay on script, we're going to be victorious. We may not win every single one, but the gospel will be spread, and that's our mission. You know, God saves them anyway. We simply proclaim. You've heard me say it before. It's not our job to make the gospel acceptable. It's our job to make the gospel accessible. You know, the whole thing about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's not our job to make him drink. It's our job to make him thirsty. That's our job. Not everyone will accept it. Not everyone will come to Christ. But if we've done our job, if we've stayed on script, if we followed God's plan, then that's all that matters. We have to embrace the why. 
And once you embrace the why, the how will follow. What about an action plan? Many organizations, they have that mission statement, but then they also have an action plan. So they have the mission statement right below it. They have an action plan for how they're going to carry it out. So I've already given you our mission statement. Here's our action plan that I came up with. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love God, love people. That is our action plan. And I'm here to tell you, folks, I am biased, but I think we do this very well very well. You know, as a preacher, I feel like it's my job to challenge and to, you know, maybe if I have to get in your back pocket a little bit, but I mean, we do a lot of things really well. Maybe there's some things that we can improve on. I don't doubt that. But of all the things that we need to do and do well, number one is to love God and love others, and we do that well. I have absolutely no hesitation inviting someone to this church that may not look like us. No hesitation at all. You know, I was talking with someone the other day, and, and, and they're, they, they, they were covered in tattoos and piercings, and they said, you know, I, I just I don't know that I, I would be accepted at your church. I said, I guarantee you you'd be accepted at our church. Guarantee it. You probably can't get to the front row without being hugged by four or five people, or at least greeted. We do that well, and we've got to do that well. That's our action plan. So I'm sorry, I have no encouragement for you to do better there because I think we do that really well. And I'm so thankful for that. Our action plan is simple. We love God with every fiber of our being. And the closer you are to God, the more aptly you're going to carry out the action plan. Like I said, we don't start with people. We start with God. If you want to love your enemy better, you love God first. You don't start with your enemy. You want to be better in your marriage, you don't start with your spouse, you start with God. You want to be a better friend, a better boss, a better coworker, a better, you know, whatever. You don't start with those things. You start with God. The closer you are to God, the better you're going to be in everything else in life. You know, it's interesting when you look at this whole discourse of Jesus talking with the expert in the law. There's a, there's a similar conversation that goes on in Luke chapter 10. And this expert in the law comes up and he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Without a doubt, the most important question you could ever ask, right? The most important question you could ever ask. And so Jesus tells him, he answers his question with a question. What is written in the law? And the lawyer responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Of course, that was the right answer. So Jesus tells him that he answered correctly, do this and you will live. As a rule, Experts in the law were long on theory and short on practice, okay? They knew the law, but they failed to see the intent of the law. They knew the law, but putting it into practice was something that they were lacking oftentimes. So this lawyer, he's actually feigning respect for Jesus as he asked this question, who is my neighbor? Now, that's a boundary question, isn't it? Because if you have to ask that question, you're not ready to love your neighbor. Now, the Jews were happy to love other Jews. As long as you narrowly defined neighbor as another Jew, they were fine with that. 
There were Jews that even believed that you shouldn't help a Gentile woman in childbirth because you were just aiding and bringing another Gentile into the world. So not only were they, were they loving towards Jews and not so much other people, they were repulsed by others that were not Jews many times. And so Jesus uses the example of a lowly Samaritan as their neighbor, which would have set their robes on fire. Your neighbor is the helpless. That's what Jesus is saying. Your neighbor is the one on the margins. Your neighbor is the one lying on the side of the road. The one that no one wants to get involved with. Your neighbor may be the guy or girl with tattoos covering their entire body, piercings all over his or her face. Your neighbor may be a prostitute. Your neighbor may be a criminal. Your neighbor may be a homosexual. Jesus says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. I think we need to see people for who they really are. Dying sinners in need of a Savior. We all should be truth tellers with tears. We need to come in contact with people and take advantage of the opportunity to show them what it means to have a better life in Jesus Christ. There are people in your inner circle every day that are going to go straight to hell if they don't come to Christ. That should bother you. And hopefully it bothers you enough that you at least speak up and speak out. But there is absolutely no excuse for doing nothing. We can all do something. Being saved comes with a responsibility. It's a blessing for sure, but as you see throughout Scripture, anytime a blessing is bestowed upon someone, a responsibility comes with it. And we are expected to invest our talents in the work of the kingdom. To do nothing is not an option. The worst thing you can do is nothing. The worst thing you can do is live like you have no master. But when you have a master, you have responsibilities. And our primary responsibility, love God, love others. Be a truth teller with tears. You know, back in 2010, the state of Texas passed a law that DPS clerks were to now ask people who were applying for a driver's license or renewing their driver's license if they wanted to be an organ donor. And shortly after that law was passed, the number of people who said they wanted to be an organ donor more than doubled. Sometimes it's that simple. Just ask. And every one of you can do that. Just ask. You want, to know, you want to know more about Jesus? You want to come to church with me? You want hope? You want to know about a better life? I'm not trying to sell you Amway. I'm trying to sell you Jesus Christ. Be the best decision you ever made. Just ask. Love God. Love people. And remember, save people. Save people. Right? So church, let's go out and change the world this week. If we can help you tonight, if there's a need that you have, Clinton's going to lead us in a song. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to love on you. We'd love to, to help you in any way that we can. If we can do that, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.